Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. The coronavirus has put life on hold for people across the world and has hampered our ability to record our podcasts, so I do apologise in advance for any sound quality issues. The coronavirus has also caused governments and central banks to announce fiscal and monetary stimulus plans to help fight the economic impact of the pandemic, while some markets have tumbled by a third since mid-February. For society, large swathes of people are working from home and the UK government has advised the nation to avoid pubs, restaurants, cinemas and theatres, while schools are set to close. I'm Imogen Chu, reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today to discuss how the pandemic is affecting the advice and investments world is Steve Kenny, Commercial Director at Square Mile, and Mike Barrett, Director at consultancy firm The Lancat. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hi, Imogen. Firstly, how is regulation faring up? Have clients been receiving 10% notices due to MIFID 2, Mike? Yeah, I think there's, there's been a lot happening. And um, last week, particularly clients who are in some some of the higher risk portfolios were fortunate enough to receive probably probably two 10% notifications as their, their portfolios smash through the 10% and then the 20% drop fall. Um, yeah, lots, lots, lots of debate around all of that. On one hand, I think the, the 10% notifications for a lot of advice firms are kind of business as usual. They've, they've been in place for a couple of years now, and it's not the first time that these notifications have gone through. But yeah, the, the whole world is panicking, and anything which is coming into somebody's inbox which increases that panic is is not good news. And I think we've always thought it was a pretty nuts piece of regulation. And yeah, it's it's probably highlighted that in the last um, few days. Yeah, I'd agree with Mike. I think most advice firms have seen this as business as usual. And I think because of the sort of war of noise on the, the television in terms of the coronavirus, probably the 10% notifications haven't received the attention from the end client that they probably would have done had we not had that sort of coronavirus sort of series going on the TV. I think now more people are working at home. I do think we're going to start to see, and certainly this week has been indicative of that, more end clients starting to focus on that because when you're at home, you've got a lot more time to focus on things. And, you know, this has definitely started to come to the fore. And I know from speaking to advisors, they're now getting a lot more calls from clients who are nervous. I wouldn't say as yet panicking, but nervous. So potentially the, these MIFID 2 notices are more expected, so people are panicking kind of less than they would if they'd got it out of the blue. But you think now that people are kind of putting life on hold, they may be having more time to kind of focus on their investments and that's going to cause panic. How would you suggest advisors deal with that? I think in any situation like this where you do have incredible um, deluge of information, be it from the television, online media, etc. I think it's important for advisors to present a sensible and honest overview of the market. Um, I think communication becomes paramount at this time. And, you know, I'm a great believer in times like this, there is no such thing as over-communication. I think it's really important to be front of house with your client and making sure they have 
from you as much information as possible to enable them to understand the position and then make informed decisions. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think the the thing that struck me in the last few days is I've been, like everyone, kind of reaching out to um, to friends just to make sure that they're all okay. And um, I've got quite a few um, advisors who I would consider uh, as, as friends and good contacts who I've been, who I've been um, just checking in with. And yeah, guess what? Um, financial advisors are human too, um, or at least most of them are. And they're mm-hmm. like, everybody else is they're pretty scared at the moment they don't really know what's happening they're worried about their own livelihoods their own families the ones who are close to them and dear to them and on top of that um they've got the clients to deal with and i think yeah all you can do is try and just be a at the moment a sounding block and i've seen quite a few advisors in the last in the last about a week ago were putting quite a brave face on this and my clients have a robust financial plan they knew this was always going to happen they'll be fine and that that's kind of disappeared in the last week or so as i said i think kind of reality is starting to really slap home and nobody really knows what's going on and even advisors who've been sitting down with their clients and doing kind of proper financial planning in the, in, in the last year or so, this would have been a, this type of thing that's happening now would have been talked about as a once in a lifetime event. And yeah, perhaps you don't need to worry about because it really is once in a lifetime if the markets fall this significantly. So I said, kind of normality in terms of investment planning and financial planning is just completely out of the window at the moment. And yeah, I don't think anybody really knows what 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 the answers are. Advisor wise, as well, many have uh, due to remote working, many have had to kind of cancel face to face meetings just at the time when maybe they it's it's going to be a good idea to go and see them. How are advisors dealing with that? Dealing with the practicalities of remote working, Mike? What what have you heard? Yeah, so again, I think there's there's. There's kind of a, a lot of stuff and a lot of really good stuff kind of going around various advisor forums and social media about setting up practicalities of things like Zoom and um, communicating through through video conversation. Um, I went through the process of trying to get my parents um, and particularly my, my, my more elderly parents who are in their 80s to install Zoom and it was actually relatively pain-free and they're, and they're using it now. So this... This myth exists of elderly people don't like, um, uh, are not comfortable with technology is, is exactly that. So there's a few practical steps you need to get in, in place with it. I think one thing we might see over the coming days is how robust people's broadband connections are. Um, I think everybody noticed yesterday when when America woke up, and particularly when when the um, when the West Coast of America woke up, suddenly everybody's internet connections and Microsoft Teams and Zoom slowed down a bit. So yeah, there's a few kind of practical things to go through around it all, but um, it goes back to Steve's point: communication is the key thing around all of this, and it might be a little bit weird and. Um, kind of unusual to be seeing people on a video conference and yeah nobody looks great when you look at how you you know yourself looks on those things but seeing a friendly face and having a human conversation on the end of that is really really important at the moment. Imogen I, I agree entirely with what Mike has said I think you know the thing that sort of crosses my mind is how would we have dealt with this had this happened 15 
20 years ago when we didn't have the likes of FaceTime, etc. Because I do think putting that human context is really important. And, you know, society is always based on people and people. And to remove that is quite challenging. And I, I know currently as I'm home-based and working, it is really bizarre. And you do get a bit of cabin fever. And therefore, the opportunity to interact with somebody on FaceTime or a telephone call is actually truly welcomed, whereas in normal working day when you're in office, they, they are a distraction. Going back to, to the idea that, you know, these, these markets have fallen and people's portfolios have fallen, um, particularly those who are potentially just in retirement, so are just starting drawdown, or those kind of looking to retire in the next few months, that's kind of going to be a real challenge for them to kind of get their head around the way their their retirement pot is now looking steve what would you suggest advisors do um how they approach that that particular topic with their clients like i said you know advisors have been doing very thorough and thoughtful financial planning for a number of years and i think whilst we're in incredibly unusual times I think the advisors will be talking to their clients about, right, what is the income level you need? In the majority of instances, ISAs will be encouraging clients to have a cash buffer. And that's where stuff like that comes into hand. And I think it's trying to manage your income needs at this moment in time, which may need to be recalibrated because of what's happened to the market. But I think that then comes down to just a sensible understanding of what your commitments are which is what a good financial plan does. It outlines what you need to live on and what would you like to live on. Going back to regulation slightly, the rule is yet to come into effect, uh, but the FCA said that property funds need to automatically suspend when their value is fined to material uncertainty over the pricing of their assets. Uh, this week, due to the coronavirus and the uncertainty that's caused in the market, we've seen nearly all of the property funds gate. Uh, trapping around £11 billion pounds of, of consumer assets. Um, Mike, what, what are the consequences of this? Yeah, so I, I think for, for all of these things, my, my mind always goes back to the real person at the end of this. And I think financial services sometimes is quite guilty of forgetting that there are real people with real lives investing their, their hard-earned into, into the stuff which, which, which we sell. And as we said earlier, Everyone is really scared about this stuff at the moment. I was really quite alarmed yesterday to see a few people kind of saying, I told you so about this stuff. In particular, a couple of robo providers were trying to take the opportunity to say, this is why we use ETFs within our portfolio because they're incredibly liquid, blah, 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 blah. I think I think I don't think that's a good look at all. I don't think um, for one moment people are going to suddenly say, "Oh, great! I'll start buying some ETFs instead of what my investments at the moment because of that." Um, and I think it's perfectly reasonable that within the within fashion within within the industry, I think there absolutely has to be a debate about the the appropriateness, yeah, whether a, an open-ended or closed-ended. Um, vehicle is is appropriate for for a liquid asset such as property but i think the industry collectively needs to do more to remember that if it's a property fund that's suspended or whatever it is if there's something happening there there are real people impacted by this and it's not going to be good news for them steve there is also the point that 
depending on how long the the property fund is suspended for, if it does make up, say, 10% of a client's portfolio as as they're drawing income uh, from the other 90%, this fund is going to start making up a larger percentage of of that. Uh, What what can advisors say to their clients who, who, who are looking at this situation? Hopefully, the advisors have, when they've been putting the portfolio together, been very upfront with the end client um, in terms of the liquidity profile of property. You know, the the gating of the funds is entirely appropriate and is done on the best basis because if the valuers can't assess the value of the property, if, if the funds don't gate, you're effectively disadvantaging people who remain in the fund for those that are against those that redeem. So I think, you know, the the advisor's duty of care is to ensure when they're putting together a portfolio is to say, we are using property because it is a yielding vehicle and it's probably one of the best yielding vehicles at present. But with that um, opportunity comes a consequence. And the consequence is that it is a liquid asset. Um, I think, you know, you touch upon Mike's point, which I think is the nub of the issue. The, the industry needs to address the desire to have income-generating vehicles whilst also wanting daily liquidity from assets that are illiquid. So if that comes down to a, a significant challenge the industry has to address, and that's both platforms, advisors, asset managers, and the regulator. Moving on slightly to a different part of our industry, how is the pandemic affecting DFMs? Mike, have you heard anything about this? Yeah, I've spoken um, to, to quite a few providers around this, um, mostly on the um, more on the platform side rather than DFMs, the conversations I've been having. Um, again, it's kind of this point they're, they're they're human too, they're real people there with um, as much worry as everybody else has got in. They've, they've got the added pressure from the regulator who are very rightly wanting to ensure that there is business continuity um, and yeah most most platforms I've spoken with well they always have they've always got robust business continuity plans in place but those plans are obviously being implemented now there seems to be a fairly common approach of kind of having having two teams in place uh, customer services team, a, a green team or a red team, which kind of sounds like the worst game of Ready Steady Cook has ever been. Or uh, <laughs> yeah, splitting out, splitting out to you know, kind of the the customer facing functions into two teams, so that they can yeah hopefully kind of coexist separately. And obviously working from home is 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 in place for a lot of people, albeit that creates additional challenges with data security and VPNs and recording phone calls. And also we we still live in a paper world for a lot of these providers. So there's still checks and posts coming into into head office which needs to be administered. So so yeah, there's a lot of change happening, but most platforms seem to be seem to be responding to it um, pretty well, I think. And and yeah, there's no, we haven't seen any indication, thankfully, of any big alarm bells going off. Right. What about you, Steve? Within Square Mile, we do have a sort of discretionary function where we manage money for some IFAs. And that we have implemented our business continuity plan, so we are all working from home. Um, and the key thing then is the interaction to ensure 
that the investment team are still receiving the inputs that they require and are able to articulate our thoughts on the market to our clients who are then onwardly transmitting to the end client. So at the moment, we, we are um, fairly confident. Um, these are challenging times and we have processes in place to deal with dealing, redemptions, etc. And they all appear to be working well. Uh, the, the key challenge for us is the unknown as we go forward, because you know it would appear that we are going to be entering virtually lockdown-type scenarios, with the majority of London being a ghost town. So, uh, you know, but I'm pretty confident that the processes we have in place at the moment are working and appropriate. Finally, looking forward, uh, Steve, taking on that point that we are going to be looking at potentially. Um, quite a drastic situation in terms of uh, lockdowns and, as you say, ghost towns and only certain things open. Is there anything that that you guys think advisors should be doing to prepare for the next stage of this? Uh, Mike, I'll come to you first. Yeah, I think the from the advisors I'm speaking to, it's, it's re-emphasising that point about communicating and not, not kind of spamming their clients, but making sure they're visible and are there, there's also um, also really important to kind of consider the vulnerability angle around that, and mm-hmm. particularly advice firms who tend to work with with more elderly clients and particularly people who are kind of approaching out to retirement. The the impact of these market falls can be quite profound for those 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 people. Um, it sounds a little bit of a cliche, but I think this. This is a good chance for advisors to really show and add the value and demonstrate demonstrate actually why why they are generally worth the fees which which are being charged and I think a lot of advice firms will will rise to that challenge and I, and I'm sure and I hope the industry will come out stronger as a result of it. I agree entirely with Mike. I think that the, when the good times are here, it's very easy to be in our industry. This is the time when the industry has to earn its corn. And I think it's imperative that we are giving clear, plain English communications to our end clients. I think that the working from home challenge is a, you know, and that's something that IFAs do need to think about. I know I've spoken to a number of IFAs and they're still in the office. And when they have to implement their business continuity plans, they need to think about their clients quite rightly, as Mike's highlighted, but they also need to think about their own people. You know, it's important. You know, we are, we are communal people in terms of our industry. They like being with people and suddenly put people into isolation is quite challenging. You know, and it's important that you check in with both your your staff because they're, they're the part, the essence of your business that the clients relate to and your clients and, you know, building in some sort of structure to how you're going to do that now needs to be very much at the forefront of advisors' minds as this is an inevitability rather than if it's going to happen. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, Mike, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.